Hello and welcome to 98 and Row, the podcast that focuses on all things Hopkinton High School, where each episode we'll discuss all types of news and updates pertaining to HHS, celebrate our many student successes and accomplishments, highlight our incredible teaching staff, take on the newest and maybe controversial topics in education, share some personal stories, and reflect on what life is like for students, parents, and staff up on the hill. I'm Evan Bishop, principal here at the high school, and on today's show, we want to highlight one of our incredible teachers, Mr. Ken Gates. Mr. Gates has been a part of the high school since the fall of 1997. He has been an integral member of our history department, teaching all levels, grades 9 through 12, modern world history, U.S. 1 and 2, current events, facing history, even a European history class that we taught a number of years ago. He's also a very active member of our athletic program, starting our lacrosse program back in 1999, also coaching football for over 10 years. So certainly a veteran on our teaching staff, but what folks might not know about him is he's also a veteran of the United States military. And as we are on the verge of celebrating Veterans Day on November 11th, I wanted to talk to Mr. Gates about the different roles that he's had in his life and the impact that he has had on so many here at HHS. Ken, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast here today. We appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, how's the school year going so far? Uh, it's going really well so far. It feels a lot more like normal as opposed to last year, which was very disjointed. So it's fun. Absolutely. Enjoying good. I'm, it. I'm glad to hear that. So uh, as we uh, are on the eve of, of Veterans Day, uh, we wanted to kind of have a sit-down conversation with you as one of our veteran teachers here, not only a veteran to the staff, but a veteran to the, to the military. And I, we'd love to hear kind of what led you to want to serve in the military. Well, I've uh, always been really competitive and like physically active. And back in, oh geez, I guess it was 1985, I found myself uh, in between college opportunities. Boston College had asked me to leave. And I was at home working and I really kind of wanted to like, just kind of, I mean, I finished playing division one lacrosse and I wanted to like sort of challenge myself again. So I decided to join the military and get out of town, but not just the Army. I decided to join up for the 82nd Airborne Division, which is a little bit different than just like regular Army. So how did you make that decision? I was going to ask you kind of what branch, what did you specialize in? How how did you come to that decision? I wanted to jump out of airplanes (laughs) and do like all that crazy dumb stuff that they do. And it just seemed like, you know, really physically challenging. And it was. It was like one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. But it was also like really fun and scary and kind of cool at the same time. Yeah. What was it like the first time you jumped up? Oh, it was awful. I didn't do anything I was supposed to. Like they teach you all of this stuff. Like when you go out the door, you're supposed to snap into this like position and cover this and put your head down. And I just kind of went out and went, oh, she. <laughs> and it was terrible. Like, my helmet came off and. But it was fun because I was the first guy out the door and it was daytime. It was like 3,000 feet, so I could see everything. And I was just like shaking in my boots so bad. And then, uh, you know, it gets easier after that. Um, So as part of the 82nd Airborne, did you have like a specialized job or role within that group? 
Yeah, so my MOS, everyone who joins the military gets like what's called the military occupational specialty. Mine was like the most basic one, 11 Bravo, which means infantry. But there's an additional skill qualifier, one Papa, which is like one P, which means you're airborne. And when you become an NCO, that one turns into a two. And if you go to ranger school, it becomes like two Victor. So I was always like 11 B, two P. Okay because I ended up being a sergeant and a squad leader and a team leader within like one of the line squads. Uh, How long did you do that? Well, I worked the machine gun for a couple of years because, um, well, I'm bigger and stronger than most people and I could carry it, but also there's just something weird about me that I can shoot an M60 machine gun better than anyone. Like literally, I was. some people can do math. Mm -hmm. I can shoot an automatic weapon. How did you know you could do that? I, I was carrying the stuff on the gun team and, you know, every now and then the gunner will let you shoot just to keep you from quitting. <laughs> and pretty soon I was beating him with all his marks and, and that. And when we did live fire stuff, I actually would get on the gun, especially if we were walking the rounds in in front of the guys, like, for cover. Because I could keep it, like, five feet in front of them the whole time and, yeah. you know, everything was fine. Did you grow up going to any shooting ranges oh yeah i mean as a kid i always ran around with guns I and mean, it was different i got my fid card when i was 12 mm -hmm. you know i got a 22 for like my high school graduation gift mm -hmm. didn't want to watch mm -hmm. and you know i just go out in the woods and shoot i never thought i was that good at it until i got into the military and um turns out i'm a little savantish that way um that's a great story now did anybody as you were getting ready to make this decision, influence you to go into the service? No, my family is not like a military no, service yeah. family. No. They're a, they're more of like go to go to high school, do what you're supposed to, go to college, and become doctors and stuff. So, mm -hmm. I was kind of the black sheep of the family, always kind of messing around, doing everything wrong, and you know, I ended up at home for like a year and a half, two years, like just cooling my heels while everyone was else at college. And then, so I just decided to join the military because I wanted to get out of town and I didn't have any money. So the army's like, we can get you out of here. Sure. <laughs> way out of here. Yeah. Speaking of getting way out of here, did you, were you able to travel around the world? Oh, yeah. I went and saw the worst places in the world. Yeah, tell us like, a little bit. You don't ever go anywhere good. Um, I was deployed three times. First time was in 88. We went down to Honduras to chase Nicaraguans around. Didn't turn out to be much more than like annoying, like three or four week trip. But I did get to actually jump with Honduran paratroopers and train them a little bit, even though I don't speak Spanish. Yeah. I got to chain them on the machine gun with a language barrier. But. Okay. Yeah. So like Honduras was cool. Yeah. And then like the next year in 89, we actually participated in the invasion of Panama okay. where my unit, wasn't even actually on one hour recall they moved us because my unit the second battalion that i was in was the best in the whole 82nd which okay. means best in the world okay and when panama was getting ready to go down they moved us up on the, de the deployment roster and we jumped in with the rangers and captured their airfield wow and um yeah that was interesting yeah so i have actually a combat jump which you know, there's been a few in like Iraq and stuff, but that was the last mass tech combat jump that the U.S. Army's done. Okay. They put 3,000 guys out over the end of the, the runway, and the Rangers put 600 on their end. Wow. So I'm curious, how, how has some of these experiences um, with the military and, and serving helped at all with, with your teaching? So it's pretty simple, like, just a few years ago, we started having to enter like little numbers to make photocopies, right? And it got a lot of people upset. 
it didn't bother me that much because I still get to go home at night and I'm still sleeping indoors. It, being in the army makes everything else easier, you know. And and in the 82nd that I was in back when I was in it, it was really really hard to stay there and do it because it was during the Cold War. I spent four years on either one-hour recall or eight-hour recall or anywhere in between. And our entire lives are dedicated to like wheels up anywhere in the world in 18 hours or less. And so there's not a real lot of transferable or like marketable skills. Like there's no call for me to run an ambush patrol or a recon or a snatch or whatever. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's so much easier to put up with life after being in the infantry because it's nowhere near as bad and when all the teachers start complaining about how awful things are i can always just kind of like sit in my head and go well at least it's not raining Mm -hmm. because we would spend 280 days a year out in the field yeah and so like you know whatever the weather was you're just out in it yeah so it gives you a perspective uh, yeah Yeah. much easier Mm -hmm. perspective kind of like Kind of like cancer, it changes what you think is important, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's just it's easy yeah. after that. Yeah, right? and that's something else you've you've had to battle as <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah, five years after I was medically retired from the military, I had cancer and pretty much almost died. And like after that, your perspective changes like radically. Mm. So like you kind of figure out what's important and what's not. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's you've you've really have had a lot thrown at you. Um, and it's pretty impressive what you've been able to kind of manage. And, um, you know, obviously you've done such a tremendous job here and been working with our students over the years. Um, how was that transition? I'm curious. You've had a lot of it. You talked about a lot of intense moments uh, with the military and, and, and dealing with cancer. How, how did you find the transition from that into teaching? Uh, I'm curious to hear that and, and, and kind of how did you come to the decision to want to teach? All right. Well, I come from a long line of teachers, like my grandmothers, my mother, my dad taught, my son's actually teaching now. Uh, It's a big, like, sort of family thing, and I always watched my mom teach, and, like, we were always pretty close. And when I got out of the military, I was like, all right, I'm retired now, so I can't be a cop, which is, like, most of my friends are policemen or in, like, law enforcement or firemen. Can't do that stuff because I'm physically disabled. Yep don't want I mean I had an opportunity to work on Wall Street one of my uncles was one of the biggest bond traders in the 80s and he was like trying to get me to go down there but I didn't want to sit on the phone and call people and say hey invest your life in savings with me I don't even know I struggle to see you on Wall Street yeah I mean (laughs) I struggle to see myself wearing a suit or pants for that matter so I didn't really want you know like a straight job in an office where I had to like answer to people because I was kind of hoping that civilian life would be a little different than the military where people don't just get like rank because they've been around for a while but I kind of found out that it's the same out here as it is in there and that every now and then you just kind of have to just you know ignore certain things because I thought civilian life would be a lot better based on you know merit and stuff but Mm -hmm. it's not really because in the infantry it's kind of weird sure yeah yeah, I can't even begin to imagine what it must be like. Um, what is your proudest moment, both with the military, if you have one, and then what's your proudest moment here as a teacher at HHS? If you can kind of pinpoint one in each. Um, so 
As a young soldier, I was in 1st Platoon and Bravo Company, and we were lucky enough to have a platoon sergeant. My platoon sergeant's name was Sergeant First Class Richardson. He was a uh, Vietnam veteran who was with the uh, 187 Airborne. And actually, no, he was, a, yeah, he was 187 Airborne in Vietnam, and he was one of the guys that went to the top of Hamburger Hill. And he would always, like, you know, when he'd catch us doing something wrong, you'd go, you're just going to die in combat, everyone. That's what he would talk like. We'd be like, oh, Sergeant Rich, no, we won't, no, we won't. When we came back from, like, our first combat deployment to Panama, and we had our combat infantryman badges like he did, we had, like, the star on our jump wings and the combat patch, and he came around and, like, talked with us because he had been switched to a different unit and got promoted away. And he came back around when we redeployed back from Panama and came to like one of our things and like walked through and was like, you know, checking his work, so to speak, because yeah, yeah, he's right. the one that trained us all up. Sure. Yeah. And we just stood there like, you know, now we're, okay, we're not anything like you, Sergeant Rich, but we got the same stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was like military, that and like combine it with the fact that I didn't leave anyone over there. I mm -hmm. brought everyone home with me that went. Yep. That's great. They're not all alive still, but they came home. Yep. Teaching. Um, pretty much happens randomly throughout the years, but I've also like one of the things that I really enjoy about this is running into foreigner students. If it's you know in a store or out in like the the street and just saying hello. But what I really like is when kids come back and like make the effort, like after a year or two of college, to like stop in, track me down, and like you know fill me in on what's going on with their lives and let me know like you know how they're doing sure and a lot do that i've seen them I, yeah a lot of them so, do yeah. and, and and it's nice it's probably one of the best reasons to do this job yeah. is to be able to like you know see a little bit of influence in kids lives mm -hmm. or you know helping when you can absolutely yeah and I, I totally agree but that would be i was asked the same question i would say something very similar to that so i, I would 100 percent agree on that um do you think your experiences within the military has helped you be a better history? I know you've taught all different levels of history, U.S., world, European, you name it. Has it helped you become a better teacher, you think, because you've lived some of or seen different places that you're probably talking about with your students? Well, we don't study a lot of South America and Central America is really where I went, but mm -hmm. I did go to, like, the Persian Gulf for, like, sure. seven, eight months, something mm -hmm. like that, too. But... Um, I think it's just the the realization that there's like a whole lot more in the world than like what we're used to. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even when you go to boot camp, right? Some little kid from Sudbury, Massachusetts going to boot camp with guys from like Mississippi and North Carolina and mm -hmm. Kentucky and Texas. Like it just, that opens up your eyes to like how different everything is. And then when you go to like foreign countries, and when we went places, we weren't allowed to, like, you know, go out in public. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, like, travel. Sure. They literally, like, would take us and stick us away over here and, like, put guards on us yeah. so that we didn't, like, interact because we were crazy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just seeing, like, how different things are and how different people live, yeah. it's really eye-opening. Yeah. I bet it is. Um, now, as we get close to Veterans Day... Um, do you have conversations with your students about Veterans Day, or how do you th think students can help support veterans and members of the service as we approach? So it comes up a lot in class, usually around Veterans Day, and usually what I try to tell the, the students are is like, listen, 
when kids find out that I've been in combat, they always ask me, have you killed anyone? Mm -hmm. And the first thing I'll say is like, I don't want to talk about that with you. Mm -hmm. And so I will tell, and I, when I used to teach senior classes, I would tell them this, like next year when you're in college and you see the guy that wears the watch like me, right backwards and like, you know, the haircut, whatever. And like, just keep in mind that they're struggling with where they are, you know? And the last thing that anyone who's been in combat wants to do is talk to someone about it who's never been there. Mm -hmm. You know, if you walk into a bar and someone's like talking to strangers about all the guys you killed in combat, you probably never did it. Because if you've been there and done it, it's hard to explain to people that don't know it, and most of us don't even try. Sure. Yeah. I don't really talk about it unless I go to like reunions with my army buddies. I do have a group that I go to every Wednesday night That's in good. Uh, yeah. Worcester. Yeah. Well, I'm supposed to go every few Wednesdays, but um, it's just different. It's it's hard to it's hard to explain to people that haven't been there and done that but it's just impossible to sort of, to make it clear. Mm -hmm. And so it's just easier not to. Sure. And so if you see someone like that, last thing you do is ask them those questions. If mm -hmm. they want to tell you, listen, They'll tell you. that's yeah. all. Sure. But you know, be kind to them because like everybody, it's like I saw a shirt the other day that I really liked and mm -hmm. said, everybody's struggling with something we can't see. Sure. Yeah. And a lot of the guys that are coming back now mm -hmm. are really, really struggling with post-traumatic stress and the things that happened to them over there, the burn pits and, mm -hmm. you know, Iraq and Afghanistan have both going to have major consequences with yeah. health and stuff. And so it's, it's hard, but you know, it, it, at the same time, it's easy. Just be respectful and polite yeah. and, you know, let them take the lead in any kind of conversations about the service. Speaking of conversations about the service, have you had students over the years that were Considering getting oh, involved, come yeah. talk to you about I, their, what to expect. And yeah, whenever I find out that a student's considering the military, I'd love to have them come talk to me, especially mm -hmm. if I have them in class. But even if they don't, because you know I've been through there and I did four years and I didn't get a marketable skill. And my first advice would be like, hey, figure out something you want to do that they'll train you for. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't like the army, you get out and do it yourself, sure. like a X-ray technician, a nurse, mm -hmm. a mechanic. Yeah. I mean, I chose, like, you know, infantry, which was, like, hoorah. But there's no, like, equivalent in the... Like, I can clean toilets or be a rent-a-cop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, in between, yeah. Yes. Like, you know, there's really <laughs> yeah. nothing in between. Yeah. Um, last question uh, before we, we, we let you off the hook here. It, what does the word service mean to you? Duty. Um, it means that if you're really gonna be serving, that you have to be reliable, that you need to be honest and open and you know ready to like compromise and react because when you serve your country, you work with like people from every different perspective. You're in all different kinds of like environments. And you know, to continue to like be effective, you have to sort of be open to like being a good leader. Mm -hmm. And you asked earlier about transferable skills, and I kind of glossed over it. Yeah. But one of the easiest things, like, you know, the best thing I ever learned in the military was, you know, this expression that Sergeant Richardson used to tell us. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. Mm -hmm. right? And so attitude determines a lot. And if you have the right attitude and the right work ethic and you're willing to, like, devote that to other people or a group goal, 
like in like the platoon or the company or the battalion, then you're really serving. If you're just in there to like, you know, do whatever, maybe maybe not so much. But I made sergeant in under three years in the army that was like during the Cold War. So that's very, very fast. Yeah, it is fast. And I had some issues with rank. Well, I can tell you Hopkinton's lucky to have you since the fall of 1997. You've been doing it now, I think this is your 25th, 26th school year? 26th year, yeah. Yeah, pretty impressive. Um, So thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it, Ken. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate the offer. And thank you for your service. You're welcome. I just want to thank Mr. Gates, once again, for coming on the podcast, and in honor of all of the men and women who have served and continue to serve this country, happy Veterans Day. We want to thank you for your service. Your bravery, sacrifice, and strength do not go unnoticed, and we will always be indebted to you and your family for all that you have given this country. And words cannot express the gratitude that I and so many others hold in their hearts for our veterans. So on behalf of the Hopkinton High School community, happy Veterans Day. Thank you for your service. Next on the 90 Hayden Row podcast, we'll be interviewing drama teacher Valerie Von Rosenvinge, better known as just Valerie, one of our amazing teachers as we get ready for the fall musical Honk. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.